We are delighted to have our young people back. This morning as I got up in the pulpit, I look out and that section right over there was very sparse and very thin and our attendance reflected that. But we're glad our young people made it back to us safely. And now my challenge is to keep you awake for the next few minutes. The passages that are favorite, those passages in the Bible where you and I stop and pause and say, these passages have some great meaning, some great lessons that I need to derive. And maybe you go back to those passages over and over again because they provide for you a, an encouraging word, something that helps you. This evening, I want to concentrate on 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14, and I want to talk about the righteousness of a nation. And to begin with, I want to be very plain and very blunt about this world and this country. I love this country. I appreciate the fact that there are men and women who have gone to the battlefield to defend the country that you and I live in and the freedoms that we enjoy. It's been my privilege to visit ten other countries other than the United States. And I can tell you without fail, every time I have returned from one of those foreign countries, when I get to the airport in Atlanta and I see those customs officials and I hear the words, y'all, I know I'm home and I'm happy to be home. Because as much as we have difficulties, this is one of the best places in the world to live. And the truth is, God has blessed America. You and I enjoy a standard of living above about 97% of this world. Y'all realize how blessed we are? The fact of the food we eat, the clothes we wear, the homes in which we live, we are a blessed people and we ought to be thankful for that and express that. But I'm not naive. I know there are many things that are not as they should be and we will discuss some of those in a few minutes in our lesson. But I want you to understand as I talk about our country tonight, I don't want you to believe I don't love it, I do. I don't want you to think that I don't believe that there's a possibility for good because I do. And when I return to 2 Chronicles 7 and verse 14, I see that in that passage. I want our country to survive. I want it to be a place where our grandchildren, great-grandchildren, and generations to come can enjoy the same kind of benefits that you and I have. But in order for that to happen, our people... And our leaders are going to have to return to the Bible. I want to look at three things in our lesson tonight. I want to look at some distinctions. It's important to do that as we approach Second Chronicles 7 and verse 14. Then I want us to look at the digression. What has changed and how has it changed? And how do we see that from God's Word? And then number three, I want us to look at deliverance. How can you and I find that? in our country. Let's go back and let's look at that passage carefully. I want it to be firmly planted in your mind. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves 
and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Let's begin, first of all, with the distinctions. As I go to Second Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14, I realize that this is a passage speaking about Israel. Israel was a type of government that is known as a theocracy. That is, God ruled in the affairs of men. That means that not only was Old Testament Israel a nation, but they were also a religion. You talk about people today speak about things such as the separation of church and state. There was no separation. There was no distinct identity between Israel as a people and Israel as a religion as well. But the truth is there are other types of governments. There are those that are known as republics, which is the way the United States is today. We have a representative democracy. We do not vote directly on everything that comes before our country. That would not be feasible, even though sometimes I wish we could. But we live in a representative democracy. We elect our leaders to go to our central form of government to represent our views. But there's other kinds of countries as well. There are those that have monarchies. That is where you have a queen or a king who is the final source of authority who makes the decisions. There have been dictatorships where one man may rule over a nation and everything he says goes. And it's not my purpose tonight to explore all the different forms of government, the types of government, but it is my point to point out that God designed all of them. He designed that there would be a form of government to which people would submit. And I would suggest to you that many of those in the Bible have at times been dictatorships. Sometimes they have been republics. And Romans 13 verse 1, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God and that the authorities that exist are appointed by God. You see, God didn't want chaos to reign in this world, and so he appointed that there would be a government that would reward those who are righteous and punish those who are wicked. And we know throughout society there have been some that have been good governments and some that have been bad. But I want you to understand governments as such are not bad. But now when I approach 2 Chronicles 7 and verse 14, it's possible that I can confuse God's promise to bless Israel, his chosen people, with God promising any nation and every nation, and specifically our nation. Second Chronicles 7 and verse 14 was not written to the United States. As much as I love this country, it was not written to us. Let me point out to you, if you go to Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 6, for you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has 
chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. Israel was chosen from all the nations to be one special nation. That specialness came through Abraham. Genesis chapter 12, verse 2. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you will be a blessing. The descendants of Abraham through Isaac, through Jacob, through his 12 sons, the 12 sons of Israel, became this great nation and chosen by God. Listen to such passages as Psalms 33, verse 12. Important passage. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The people he has chosen as his own inheritance. Folks, it would be real easy for me to go through the Old Testament and single out those passages which talk about the great chosen nation and read it with the glasses of red, white, and blue on and tend to think God's speaking about the United States. These passages are speaking about Israel, the theocracy, his chosen people. And thus the promise of Second Chronicles 7 and verse 14 has to be seen in its proper context. Read with me, if you will, as we pick up with verse 12 and going through verse 14. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up heaven, and there is no rain or command of locusts devour the land, or send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. Do you see it refers to God's chosen people? However, Israel is not the chosen nation today, contrary to what premillennialists might say. That country that exists and borders on the Mediterranean Sea in the Middle East that has Jordan to its east, that has Syria and Lebanon to its north, and Egypt to its south, that nation is not God's chosen people today. How do I know that? First Peter 2 and verse 9 says, But you, that is the church, are a chosen generation, a royal priest, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. When Paul wrote the Galatians, he said it like this in Galatians 6 and verse 16. As many as walk according to this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. You see, he's talking about the church. And thus, if you're going to make a parallel to this passage, it would not be to the United States. It would be to God's people, to the church. And yet there's much to learn about the nations and the rulers. Which brings me to our second part, and that is digression. We're going to look in a moment for the fact that God was not just the God of Israel. You know, the mindset of many of the people around Israel was, our God is Baal. 
Your God is Yahweh. Your God is Jehovah. As if God was only the God of the Israelites. And the truth is, is that God is everybody's God. Whether they know it or whether they accept it. Let me give you a few passages. Proverbs 14, verse 34. Righteousness exalts a nation... But sin is a reproach to any people. You see, if you're a nation that does righteousness, that is a nation that God does bless. Whether it is Israel, whether it is Assyria, or whether it is Babylon, or whether it is the United States. In Psalm chapter 9, I think David has some wonderful explanation of God's interaction with men. If you'll notice with me, verse 17, the wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. Not just Israel, all nations that forget God have hell as their destiny. And then you drop down to verses 19 and 20. Arise, O Lord, do not let man prevail. Let the nations... Be judged in your sight. Put them in fear, O Lord, that the nations may know themselves to be but men. One of the problems that nations have had is their rulers view themselves as gods. Do you know that the ruler that ruled near the end of the first century named Domitian, the Roman ruler, proclaimed himself Dominus et Deus, Lord and God. Many of them thought themselves to be deity. And here David says, the nations need to see themselves as what they are. They are just men. No ruler should be deified. Psalm 47 and verse 8. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. I think about what Paul said when he was on Mars Hill, interacting with those people of his day. And he says, God has appointed man's pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their habitations. God rules not only in the affairs of Israel, God rules in the affairs of all nations. In Psalm 67, 1 through 4, God be merciful to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us that your ways may be known on the earth, your salvation among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all peoples praise you, Oh, let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you shall judge the people righteously and govern the nations of the earth. The plural, nations of the earth. Now, as I approach the Old Testament, and as I look, like passages of Second Chronicles 7, I see God warning Israel about digression, about departing from His laws, and Israel did. But do you know that many nations have departed from God's laws? And when you look specifically at our country, 
I want to focus for just a moment or two your attention on us. Have we digressed from God's laws? I don't think there's a person here who would deny that we have. I want to be specific. One of the things that our country has done is it has made greed our God. You know, Colossians 3 and verse 5 talks about covetousness, which is idolatry. The word covetousness could easily be translated greed. Back during the Clinton administration, there was a phrase that kept being repeated over and over. It's the economy, stupid. It's the economy, stupid. In other words, it's all about how much money we make. Is it? Proverbs 16.8 says, Better is a little with righteousness than vast revenues without justice. Chapter 15, verse 16, Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure with great trouble. We have to understand it's not about how much money we can make or how wealthy we can become. Because if we consider ourselves rich and are morally bankrupt, we have nothing. On this past trip, we visited the city of Laodicea. Laodicea said this in Revelation chapter 3, I am rich and have gotten riches and have need of nothing. And God's response was, You are miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Do you know what exists of the city-state of Laodicea today? Broken down buildings that are being restored. You see, wealth will not save you. The second thing that is very prominent among us and is a disgrace for our country is the shedding of innocent blood. There's nothing more innocent than a pure newborn baby. Nothing more innocent has done nothing wrong, said nothing wrong. And you know, as you go to the Bible, particularly the Old Testament, there were nations that shed blood, innocent blood, and God's condemnation was upon them. Listen to 2 Kings chapter 21 and verse 16. Moreover, Manasseh shed very much innocent blood till he filled Jerusalem from one end to the other or another, beside his sin which he made Judah sin in doing evil in the sight of the Lord. Psalm 106:38, And shed innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan, and the lamb was polluted with blood. Brothers and sisters, the United States hands are dripping with the blood of aborted children. There's no excuse. There's no justification that can be offered for the wholesale slaughter of innocent little children. Indecency and immorality you cannot turn on your television and watch broadcast TV. I'm not talking about what might be piped in versus via the satellite or via the internet. I'm talking about broadcast television without people with indecent clothing on, without the token homosexual, 
without all of this immorality of people who are portraying themselves, whether it be someone like Miss Miley Cyrus who is disgusting. But what you find in the Bible is God judges this. Listen to Romans chapter 1, verses 26 through 32. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. For even the women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another. Men with men, committing what is shameful and receiving to them the penalty of their error which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do the things which are not fitting. Do you see how the immoral mind begins to become perverted and begins to say, I'm not going to consider God in my choices, my morality. And that's what we have. And so he goes on and said, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whispers, backbiters, haters of God, violent boasters, or proud boasters, inventor of evil things, disobedient to parents, undeserving, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of... I'm pausing on purpose. Deserving of death. And don't miss the last phrase that's in verse 32. Not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Some people will say, I don't do those things, but I don't have a problem with it. Folks, you better have a problem with it. You have to realize that our country is being destroyed by those who do not love God. So what do we have? We now have a godless society and some love it. A godless society and some love it. You know, I feel for the great prophets of old, particularly men like Jeremiah. And Jeremiah lived in a day and among Israel, and Israel was doing things that was not wrong. And he put it like this, The prophets prophesy falsely, the priests bear rule by their own power, and my people love to have it so. But what will you do in the end? My people love it. You know, one of the things that astounds me is when they produce all of these opinion polls and they say, now there are 70 people who think that abortion's a good thing. Well, you know, I, I, I'm amazed, but our society loves the godlessness. They love no restraint whatsoever. But is there hope for our nation? You know, as I, I look at it and I, I see a lot of things that are not what it, they should be, and I, I could go on about many specifics, but I think you understand that. Even though Second Chronicles 7 verse 14 was written about Israel, 
It holds the key. It provides the answer. What does it say? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways. Let's let's explore that for just a moment. I know time is passing along. Humility. We have become an arrogant people. We have to recognize that. We think we dictate to the rest of the world in matters not only of political things, but in terms of morality. We've gotten to the point where we feel like in matters of human rights, the United States can tell other countries that are punishing people for their fornication that they've done something wrong. As if we somehow have assumed the moral high ground when in reality we're wrong. We need a good dose of humility. In my lifetime I've seen it once. Right after 9-11. We saw our vulnerability. There was another time in the lives of some people. And that was the Great Depression. People saw their vulnerability. Whether you realize it or not, we are a vulnerable nation. And it's time for us to humble ourselves before God and to say, I don't know what all I need to know. Jeremiah 10, 23, O Lord, I know the way of man is not a man that walks to direct his own steps. I've got to say, I don't know how to do it right. I need God's direction. Number two, pray. I'm going to mention prayer one more time before I conclude the lesson. But folks, we need to be a praying people. We need to pray about a lot of things. We need to pray for our families. We need to pray for our congregations. I hope you're praying for me as a preacher. I hope you're praying for our elders as they oversee this congregation. But we need to be praying about our country. Pray that eyes are open and hearts are softened. But particularly in this context, it's praying to God because we've humbled ourselves to say we recognize the errors of our way and we repent. Seek God. Sometimes I think that will probably be one of the hardest things for our country to do because we've become so pluralistic to say that everybody's idea is just as good as another. Seeking God means that we put His will first. Remember Matthew 6, verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. And then turn from wickedness. We've got to quit aborting babies. We have got to find some way to stop all the indecency that's a part of our society. Whether it's the homosexuality. I remember a few years ago when Channel 5 started publishing Out and About. Those of you who probably are not aware of it because you're not interested in it, but they put this program on Out and About in Nashville to highlight the homosexual lifestyle in Nashville. 
I wrote to Channel 5 and they said, we're celebrating the diversity of our community. And uh, I thought, well, it didn't get anywhere that way. So I wrote all of the sponsors of the program. They had a little sponsorship down there. Three of them did not know that they were sponsoring a homosexual program. And they cut their funding for it. You know, sometimes we have to be as wise as serpents and harmless as doves. We've got to find a way to turn our country. One of the things you've got to do is teach them the gospel. And you make a Christian out of somebody, and that changes who they are and what they believe. Listen to Jonah, chapter 3, verses 5 through 10. Jonah was probably the most unwilling preacher and the most successful one that ever came along. So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast, put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word of the Lord came from the king or to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes, and caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hand. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from us his fierce anger so that we may not perish? Then God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that he said would bring upon them, and he did not do it. Folks, that was not Israel. That was Nineveh. We need to be the kind of people like the people of Nineveh. If you love our country, pray. Listen to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1. And this Paul writes about the Roman government. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, that supplication, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. And for kings who are, and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and a peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of the Lord our God. I want you to pray for our leaders. Pray that we may continue to enjoy the freedoms we enjoy. Pray for their minds that they may see truth and recognize it. If you love our nation, the only thing you can do in a real sense is vote for those who support godliness. And I'm not suggesting any party or any affiliation. I'm saying vote for godliness. And then number three, if you love our nation, be one of the righteous souls who can spare it. I want you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 18. We're going to finish right here. You all know about the cities of the plain, Sodom and Gomorrah. Their wickedness was great in the sight of the Lord. We read verse 22, Then the men turned away from there and went towards Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. And Abraham came near and said, 
Would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there were 50 righteous within the city. Would you destroy the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who were in it? Far be it that you should do such a thing to slay the righteous with the wicked so the righteous should be judged as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? So the Lord said, If I find in Sodom 50 righteous in the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. My guess, and it's strictly a guess, that the reason why the Lord has allowed this country to continue and enjoy many of the blessings we enjoy is because of people like you. But if the day comes when we no longer stand for truth and no longer stand for righteousness, then God help us. If you'll open your songbook now, it would be inappropriate to close a service, close a lesson from God's Word without offering the invitation of our Lord. How He begs and pleads for men to come to Him because they believe that He is the Son of God. Because they're sorry for the things they have done wrong. Repentance is in their heart. Confession is on their lips. And then to be baptized. Would you not tonight, if you're not a Christian, do that? We beg you. We plead with you. But more importantly, God pleads with you. And your soul is that important. If you're one of God's children and you look at your life and you are not happy with the direction you're going and you realize you need to make some changes, this is your opportunity. Would you come while we stand and sing?